0: Welcome to Inside the Squad, a podcast brought to you by the Community Outreach Unit of the Lafayette, Indiana Police Department. Inside the Squad is hosted by Lieutenant Brian Gossard and Sergeant Scott Galloway. From crime statistics to crime prevention and everything in between, this is your inside look at what's happening at the LPD.
1: Welcome to another edition of Inside the Squad. We are a podcast to try to keep you in the loop of what is happening at the LPD, and this is also a good way to connect to the police department, so we can kind of tell that story of what's going on here, and you can get information that way. Today, we are joined by A.J. Malady and Daryl Clays. Thanks, guys, for being with us. And uh, we know that there's a national drug epidemic. We hear it all the time. We see it on the news and even here on our local news. So we wanted to find out and talk to AJ, who runs the Street Crimes Unit, and Daryl, who runs the Emergency Ambulance Service, what kind of effects that the the drug issue is having here at home. So we want to unpack our drug issues and what that means for crime and emergency services. And as always, we have with us uh, Brian Gossard. How's it going, Brian? It's going well.
0: I've uh, transitioned back to patrol, so I'm still getting my feet under me, but uh, it's going well. So
1: how's sleep? You're working out? You're eating? How's all that going?
0: Uh, I'm getting used to our 12-hour shifts, uh, so that's much different than the eights I was on, but uh, so far, so
1: good. You want to come back? Uh, not right now. Okay, good answer. Good answer. <laughs> um, but we have with us to replace you, and has done a great job for the last about a month, is our new crime prevention special, Shawna Wayne Scott. And we want to welcome Sean. We kind of mentioned her on the last podcast, uh, teased that out a little bit. But Sean, if you could tell us a little little bit about your experience prior to the LPD when you were in the military and your years of service here at LPD so far.
2: So prior to being at LPD, I spent 12 years in the Army National Guard. And what I did with that was I was an intelligence analyst, so I analyzed a lot of data, um, enemy movements, stuff like that. I also did two deployments overseas in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, where I got a lot of experience and intelligence, and I've also been on the Lafayette Police Department for nine years, and most of that was as a patrol officer.
1: So you were deployed overseas for for how long of that, your military career?
2: Uh, It would be close to, it was close to three years.
1: Okay. And um, so what's some of your goals and expectations of your new role as being the Crime Prevention Specialist?
2: My main thing that I want to do is I want to assist the public through education to basically make them not become victims of a crime. And to do that, uh, we'll go through different crime prevention strategies with the public. I'll do community outreaches. We'll do community meetings. We'll do whatever we can to arrange so that a, you have less of a chance of becoming a victim of a crime. So we always talk
1: about that in crime prevention. The uh, The best way to reduce crime is to not have it happen in the first place. So. Glad to have you on board. And you still sound like you are in the military. You talk about civilians. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. That probably doesn't go away, it, does it's it? It's hard.
2: No, that never goes away. And then I also wanted to throw out that uh, one of the things that we do have coming up is a RAD women's class, May 20th and 21st. And that class will be from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. So keep an eye out for that. We'll be releasing that here probably about a week before that class happens.
1: Okay. And remind us at the end of this, we'll put it out in our show notes. And so on today's podcast, the uh, the meat of this, we want to talk to... AJ and Daryl about crime and how drugs affect that and the, and the challenges they have. So with that in mind, AJ, I'll talk to you a little bit first. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, kind of where you, you grew up and your role here at the police department, how, those kind of things, some demographical in, information about about you and where okay. you're at here?
3: Well, I grew up in southern Tickman County. I, coming to Lafayette when I was younger was basically... You got to come to Lafayette, it was because you are going to the grocery store. So, that was always the interesting part. You got a free cookie, everything's great. So, you would come to the grocery store and all that. But, so, my experience within the city was not... Um, I didn't live within the city. I didn't know a whole lot about it. One of my first interactions with a police officer um, was at the fair, with a Lafayette police officer, was with the fair. And then, so kind of grew up in the rural community, farm community. And then when I turned 18, I graduated from McCutcheon High School. I was a part of the sports community there. Uh, graduated from McCutcheon in 2000 and then joined the Marine Corps and was in uh, the Marine Corps all the way till 2004. Uh, while I was in the Marine Corps, I had several deployments. I went several different places. Uh, I got out of the Marine Corps in 2004 and then was hired here Within like a month of getting out, so it was a very seamless, uh, smooth transition into law enforcement. When I was in the Marine Corps, I was a military police officer, so when I came here, it was kind of the same thing. A little, little, few things to learn that were different, but it was just kind of going right back into police work. So while I've been at the police department, I in 2006, I became a member of our SWAT team. I've been a member of the SWAT team for almost 11 years now. And then in 2000, late 2009, I was selected for our Street Crimes Unit. Our Street Crimes Unit is a select unit of officers that are picked, hand-picked from the police department. They all have different specialties, and those specialties create a very unique team that's tasked with problems within the city. And several of those problems are drug-related, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Right.
1: And so you are also the commander of the SWAT team, is that Right. I'm the team leader. Okay, yes. so that big <clears throat> booming voice uh, commands people. Yeah, it kind, kind of <laughs> helps
3: a little bit. Um, so,
0: so as as you in your role as uh, part of the street crimes unit, mm-hmm. you see the interaction of crime and drugs and how those you know are related. Can you talk about what you see as far as violent crime and um, you know the drug activity that uh, is involved in that? Well, the
3: interesting interesting part about that question is that you really don't start to see that as a younger officer. I would say probably year five where you started to put together what's driving these violent crimes. And what we've put together for several years now has been that drugs normally drive those violent crimes. So if you're involved in drugs, which a very, very, very small percentage of the population here in Lafayette are involved in it, However, that small percentage of people that are involved in drugs are the large percentage of the people that we deal they with. They cause a big problem. Exactly. So what has really caused the spike in crime or increase in crime in certain places in certain times has been the addiction that people have towards drugs. And we see certain kinds of drugs, um, but as of right now, what we see the most of is called synthetic marijuana.
1: And we'll get into a little, little bit more about that later. I have that coming up. But I wanted to first talk to Daryl and get to know his backstory and, and kind of some things <clears> about what we call a T's. A lot of acronyms today. So if we talk about SCU, that is? Streetcraft unit. And if we talk about T's, that is?
4: Tippecanoe Emergency Ambulance Service.
1: All right. So, Daryl, tell us a little bit about yourself and what uh, made you here today.
4: Sure. No, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here today. Um, I've been with uh, Tippecanoe County uh, Emergency Ambulance Service for 18 years now. Uh, started out as an emergency medical technician, uh, went through our paramedic training program through Franciscan, uh, which is a two-year program. Uh, worked as a street paramedic for uh, many years, uh, and then just actually just kind of worked my way through the uh, the uh, EMS system here. Uh, was a uh, shift supervisor for several years. Uh, transitioned over into the uh, education department, was actually off the, uh, the ambulance for a couple years, uh, working primarily in education. Uh, in that role, I taught new EMTs, uh, taught paramedic classes and some other classes that we offer through the hospital. Um, and then through uh, just a couple uh, series of events, uh, about five years ago, I was asked to uh, take over as director for EMS here in the county And uh, so, as I said, I've been doing that for about five years now. So, something
1: interesting about your job, and maybe people have questions about this too. You drive a police-looking vehicle
4: that says (laughs) "T's" on the side and has lights (laughs) on. What what is your role in using that vehicle? What's the specialty of that vehicle? Right. So, again, with the uh, we've had a significant increase in uh, our calls for nine one one and for medical service uh, over the last few years, and in order to uh, to adapt to that and, and continue to provide the, uh, the service that the County expects. Uh, we've increased our number of ambulances that we have on the street, but also there's still times when all of our units are tied up. And so myself and my assistant, uh, we have, um, what we call chase cars, uh, Crown Vicks and, um, the only difference really between the Crown Vicks and the ambulances, are our vehicles are a non-transport vehicle. So they're fully loaded with all the medications and equipment that we have in the ambulance. So we can arrive on scene before an ambulance and um, actually go ahead and administer care okay. and start taking care of patients and then wait for the ambulance to get there. So,
0: you know, we see a lot of different ambulances. Mm-hmm. You know, the white ones, the, you know, you've seen Purdue ambulance. How, how right. are those related? Um, <clears throat> the way we're set line? up.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of confusion with that uh, here in the area. Tippecanoe County Emergency and Ambulance Service or TEAS, we are the sole 911 provider for emergency or pre-hospital emergency care. Now we have a, a tremendous backup system in place. Uh, a couple of the volunteer departments like West Point Fire and, uh, uh Audubon. they have what are called basic life support ambulances which are staffed with emergency medical technicians so if we're busy and need an additional ambulance we can reach out to the to those groups and they'll bring their ambulances in to help us out Purdue University also has uh two ambulances that are equipped with paramedics also uh and if we need to we can reach out to Purdue we've got mutual aid agreements with uh with Purdue University uh the other ambulances that you'll see in the area uh we have several private uh, they're basically transfer services that are in our area, and their primary responsibility is taking patients, uh, you know, to and from medical appointments or discharges from the hospital back to extended care facilities or residences.
2: So tell us a little bit about the issues that you guys see with Spice or synthetic marijuana.
3: So we've been dealing with Spice for, I think it first came into the Lafayette area. We start, first start seeing the site of it was in 2007. 2007, it was kind of introduced into the community. I guess the long answer for this would be, it. I guess the short answer to avoid the long answer would be is that it shipped in. It first was starting to be shipped in. The leaf product was being shipped in from China or Mexico. They would get it shipped in here. They would dry it out in a, under a heat lamp or in an attic or in a barn or a garage, and then they would package it for sale. So that's when we first start seeing it. The issues that have arisen from that have been now that it has, so when it first came out in 2007, it was actually legal. You could go to uh, your nearest tobacco store or cigarette store and you could buy it over the counter. There was no problem. Well, we started having so many so many overdoses and so many just weird reactions, people, people just not acting themselves, uh, having a lot of violent encounters with individuals that had been, Uh, Smoking spice or synthetic marijuana. I'll refer to it as spice from here on out. But they were having so many um, just bad encounters with that drug is that in, I think, 2008 or 2009, the state came in and said it's illegal. And they classified it as synthetic marijuana. When they classified it as synthetic marijuana, basically it could no longer be sold within uh, the state, it could no longer be sold over the counter. That's when we started seeing... A large amount of it being sold illegally on the street. The interesting part about it now is that people are making it on their own. They're getting the leaf shipped in from who knows where within the world. And then they're spraying their own chemical on it. And a lot of times through our interviews and through our contacts with individuals that have been using it, is that that what they're spraying on it is either like a bug killer or a hairspray. Amazing. So... What they're doing is, is when they ingest those chemicals into their body, they're ingesting chemicals that are not supposed to be introduced into your body, and those chemicals are creating a reaction within the body that is uh, primarily negative. And the negative parts of our interactions, or the negative parts that are taking place within the body, are creating um, overdoses, they're creating people passing out, people being unresponsive, they're creating fights, it's almost, it's creating... And I'm not a doctor, so I really couldn't say much about this. But I, it, close. it would almost it would have to be it's creating some type of chemical imbalance within the brain. Uh, you, and Daryl may be will to answer this too. Uh, something called
1: spice spice induced psychosis. And I've talked to some uh, people in different <clears throat> um, treatment areas that have, have seen this within one exposure
4: to spice, where somebody's brain is no longer the same, and it never will be again. Yeah, some of the uh, reactions. We we really on the EMS side. We really started to notice uh, differences in our patient contacts three four years ago and. Uh, In 2015, for example, and and as A.J. AJ mentioned, we've got um, these significant reactions. Uh, We refer to it as like AMS or altered mental status, uh, or as was mentioned, they're unresponsive when we show up. But the typical response that we saw, and I don't know if it was the the particular batches that were being made in 2015 or the the chemical components, but during that time frame, um, during one month period, we actually had 13 batteries against E.M.S., uh, the reactions that we were seeing from these individuals were extremely violent, extremely aggressive. And for us, that's a significant concern when we've got a patient in the back of a confined space, uh, such as an ambulance, and we're trying to work with them. And, and
1: what would you do in that instance? Would you call the police to come intervene and, hey, meet us here because we're in a fight? Well, and that's
4: that's one thing that's great about our community um, You know, we do have a significant increase in drug use and those type of calls that we're responding to. But the way we're set up, I mean, all the administrators, we get together on a regular basis, and you know, we kind of work through situations. Let's see what's best. Yeah, so with the police and the fire department, and on medical calls in particular. Um, especially if it's a drug-related type of call, we're normally advised to stand by by our dispatch until you know, Lafayette or the Sheriff's Department or whatever jurisdiction it is arrives and secures the scene for us. So you
0: mentioned that it used to be called or is uh, commonly called synthetic marijuana. Uh, can you talk about the relationship between marijuana and spice and what are the different reactions that people have Using the two drugs. It's not really marijuana, it has nothing to do
1: with marijuana.
3: Yeah, this yeah. is a very tricky situation. This is a very tricky question because, any way that I basically answer this, certain people can spin this to be, well, marijuana is more healthy. It, yeah. And, and, and I'm so not, that's, and that's, I'm not, and I don't want to get into. And that's what people think. It right. says and marijuana, that's, and, that's, it, so, and so it's what, not exactly what they uh, that think. bad. The only, the only, I guess, the only similar similarities with synthetic marijuana and marijuana is that they're both green and you smoke them. That's pretty much it. Uh, so the, the interesting part between synthetic marijuana and marijuana, what they do to the body based on the interviews that I've had is that synthetic, synthetic marijuana is one, you're smoking things that are not supposed to go into the body that are supposed to be used for household cleaning or chores, which is just a bad <laughs> idea, but I mean, so you have that with synthetic marijuana and then you have regular marijuana, which is normally, um, shipped in from outside the country. Synthetic marijuana is being made, and it's being made with things that aren't supposed to go into the body. Synthetic marijuana's reactions to the body based on interviews that we've had last a five to ten minute high. So you take one joint, which is the size of a cigarette, and it's the most common way to smoke it, is that the high for the person is five to ten minutes. The high for marijuana could be three minutes to an hour based on the THC level within the marijuana and how how, I guess, how good they say it is. So if you're going, if you're looking at marijuana, which the use for marijuana used to be very rampant, we used to deal with that more than we dealt with spice. But if you're using marijuana and you're only, and you're staying high 30 to 30 minutes to 60 minutes, and then you're using spice and you're only staying high five to 10 minutes to maintain that high with spice, you have to constantly use it. Now, if you're constantly using something that's not supposed to be introduced into your body and it's supposed to be used for household chores, then that creates the problem. So if you're constantly introducing something that's not supposed to be into your body, that's what's going to create the problem. So it's created addictions for individuals that have been using it that they just can't get off. Very, very very many interviews that I've had, individuals are permanently addicted to this, where if they don't use it, They start vomiting, and it's within 30 minutes of getting off that high. So you're looking at a 40-minute window if they're not going to use it. So they, they smoke it. They stay high for 10 minutes. They, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. They wait 30 minutes. Within 40 minutes to 60 minutes, they're already vomiting. They're already having reactions of withdrawal from synthetic marijuana, which is extremely more violent than what we even see with one of our hardest drugs, which would be heroin. Great segue to that because I want to talk about heroin. Did you have something else for I you, had, though?
0: So Spice has similarities to a lot of different drugs, one being meth where you're putting household chemicals inside your body that you know are not natural to uh, ingest. Um, they have uh, violence associated with it, so close to PCP, um, psychosis with LSD. It looks like marijuana and it, it's called, nicknamed legal, mm-hmm. because it used to be legal. Yeah. Um, so you have kind of a, a wide variety of different aspects of these drugs, all in one drug that we're seeing is causing a lot of issues. So Correct. and and with heroin, they're, they're, you know you're coming off heroin, you're going to get sick. Yes, you're going to have that that feeling of, uh, you know, that desire to do it again quickly. Correct. So with heroin. What are you seeing, um, you know, as far as heroin on the street, what do you see, uh, on a normal
3: daily basis? Normally. So, you know, synthetic marijuana is much easier to find than heroin because heroin so can be packaged so much smaller. So it can be hidden much better. As an officer, you finding it. Is that yes. What that, that's what I'm saying. So as an officer, right? on a day to day basis, we will probably find, um, evidence of heroin use daily, probably four or five times a day. And the evidence of the heroin use is normally syringes. Um, Evidence of the spice use is spice, the baggies, the the joints, the bowls, things of that nature.
1: And does spice spice smell
3: a certain way? It doesn't smell like marijuana. No, it does not. It does not not smell smell like marijuana at all. It, It smells like... Uh, I guess like nail polish, uh, it's it's very heavy very, chemical, smell. very heavy chemical yeah. smell. And the interesting part, we just had a meeting with LFD where we were talking about smelling the smoke, you know, the spice smoke as you walk in the secondhand smoke uh, that we've discovered through years of uh, of um, studying that secondhand smoke just off cigarettes is dangerous. Well, secondhand smoke off of Spice, which they're burning, an organic compound that we're not sure what it is, could possibly be they're putting into the air low levels of a nerve agent. So you're Hmm. walking, so they're exposing themselves to that all the time, and then we get exposed to it when we walk in. So it's very harmful, and I'm not sure that people really understand how harmful it is. The, the The relationship between heroin and spice is very tight heroin if you're not if you're using heroin you have to use pretty much every 12 to 18 hours if you're not using every 12 to 18 hours you start to go through withdrawal and you get sick heroin's a little bit more expensive than what you could buy spice for spice is actually fairly cheap one of the cheapest drugs that we have on the street right now so in order for people to make the the high last longer from their heroin they'll use heroin and then once they start to get into that 12 to 18 hour window they start to use smoke spice because the high is similar. Their Mm. effects are similar. So if they're able to use the spice between using heroin, it's cheaper for them in the long run because heroin can be very expensive. Several interviews that we've had, individuals will steal, commit crimes, make money any way that they can to support their habit. And And that's
1: that's where crime intersects with this problem. Correct.
3: And one of the individuals that we recently interviewed was doing crime and stealing items to support his habit in excess of $200 a day. $200 a day he had to come up with to support his habit. Now, again, we're dealing with a very small percentage of the public. I'm not saying that Lafayette is overrun with this. However, the people that we target so that other individuals within the community aren't affected with this, is this is who we normally deal with. It's
1: a clientele, the typical Correct. clientele. Uh Daryl, going into the the heroin issue, and I've been to um, talks. Uh, Dr. Teeter. I don't know if you know. Did you go to the talk Dr. Teeter gave with the Drug Free Coalition um, about the overprescription of. Of narcotics by doctors, kind of leading down this road. Can you speak to that? Do you have any research or knowledge of of how that happened? And what yeah, you're I mean, with?
4: we're able to spend quite a bit of time with our patients, and very similar to you know, as as mentioned, you guys are seeing the same ones that commit the crimes over and over to get their drug habit. Um, when somebody overdoses and so on, we frequently see, the, see same the same people in your, over in your and over. trucks. Um, and as we talk to these individuals and so on, because you know we we have uh, a little bit of time with them when we're transporting to the hospital, they'll often tell us you know they kind of open up to us and and indicate that, you know, they may have started out with a back injury or some sort of an orthopedic injury from work or something like that, started out on legal prescription medications, and then unfortunately they either didn't get their original injury taken care of or they were just on those medications long enough that once the physicians decided that they no longer needed that medication and, and stopped giving them the, the prescriptions – they were at that point where they were used to that high or the feeling good. And so, unfortunately, they had to turn to other methods to and do you see that through the AJ same thing.
3: That Very much so. Um, the heat pretty much hit the nail on the head is that's exactly what happens. You have an existing injury or surgery that takes place, and you become addicted towards the painkillers. And then when the painkillers are no longer available, you look for other avenues to maintain that high. And that that, honestly, is probably seven out of the 10 people that we deal with had started with Hmm. painkillers and moved forward from there because heroin and the painkillers are, they're very similar in the reaction that they have with the body. Can you talk a little
0: bit about, uh, the ambulance response to an overdose where it differs between heroin and spice with, you know, Narcan is a a big topic these days and, and it continues to be a big topic because of the um, you know prevalence of uh, heroin overdoses. Can you talk about what what your response is to a
4: heroin overdose and or sure. a SPICE overdose? Yeah, typically, I mean, our original dispatch is normally, um, you know, possible drug overdose. I mean, dispatch is usually pretty good about giving us information so we know what, what we're kind of walking into. Um, th- the significant differences that we see, uh, as mentioned with SPICE, um, a lot of times those individuals are in that altered mental status uh, type state. And those individuals have been very aggressive, uh, very violent uh, from the beginning. A lot of times, um, and, and so when we have to deal with that individual, and like I mentioned, in the back of a, a confined space such as an ambulance, it can be, you know, our job is always uh, safety for our crews and for the patients that we're taking care of. So we actually have guidelines in place where if we have an extremely agitated or violent patient, uh, we can actually administer medications to sedate them. Now, unfortunately, depending upon the uh, medication that they've taken or whatever they've overdosed on sometimes um, we can give them a pretty significant uh, dose of the medication that we use to you know in a sense put them to sleep and it doesn't work on them uh, so occasionally we'll run into situations like that typically what we see with heroin though is we're called when that individual um, is unresponsive uh, we had a case not too long ago and and it at, at a lot of times, when we when we get that call, the family members are typically who will call, and they're like, "I had no idea." You know, we were just sitting here talking. I got up, I went to the kitchen, I came back, and they were on the floor. And they'll find the needle. Frequently, we walk in, the needle is still on in the individual's arm or foot or wherever they found a the vein to shoot up. Um, and so with Narcan, because heroin and a lot of times it'll be mixed with fentanyl, some other pain medications, those are all opioid-based drugs. And Narcan has caught a lot of attention recently. Uh, it's a medication that a lot of groups are advocating to uh, you know, basically give away for free. Uh, you can get it over the counter at uh, local drugstores and so on. And ultimately, its job is to reverse the effects of an opioid overdose. So it's as, as the and what happens with an opioid overdose is if you've ingested enough, basically you shut down your respiratory drive and you quit breathing. In its worst case, Narcan will reverse that. It opens those opioid receptors back up and restores the normal respiratory drive. So we carry Narcan. We use it on a on a frequent basis. Um, so far this year, you know, we, we keep a lot of statistics and so on. So last year, for example, we administered Narcan uh, in 2016 roughly 330 times. So almost once a day we were using Narcan. Um, so far this year, uh, and we're not even to the end of April yet, we've administered Narcan over 150 times. Did wow. you have something, Sean?
2: Yeah. So you had mentioned that a lot of times family members don't know that they were addicted to heroin <laughs> until they find them on the floor unconscious. <laughs> so for either one of you, what are some signs that family members that they expect that their relative or loved one is using heroin? What are some signs or physical features that they can look for in that individual?
4: A lot of times um, family members will ask, you know, hey, what can we, you'll see an individual start to be kind of secretive or they'll disappear all, you know, suddenly uh, for a few minutes during the middle of a conversation or something. Um, you know, frequently we'll, we'll have a mom or a dad or somebody call and after they found their son and they'll say, well, you know, they were spending a lot of time in the room. We notice they've been kind of withdrawn or isolated lately uh, or they're starting to wear long sleeves, uh, you know, because they're covering up some of the track marks, things like that. Um, you know they're carrying a, a lunchbox that they never used to carry and we open that up and it's filled with needles or, or their paraphernalia um, if they're actually if it's been a while since they um, have actually taken the medication they'll start to break out into a cold sweat they start getting a little jittery uh, they might stutter when they start talking things like that they may have projectile vomiting um, a lot of different things like that for and families you know trying to figure out what's going on because the last thing they really want to believe is that their their loved one is on drugs.
0: I have a couple questions. One, what is the reaction? So when you administer Narcan, mm-hmm. what what's the person's reaction and how long does it take?
4: Uh, depends upon how we give it we can actually um, the, the quickest and simplest way for us to give it is we can actually administer it's called internasally and we actually can administer it's basically we just take the uh, the narcan medication and we squirt it into their nose into a it comes out as a fine mist and the nose is very vascular um, and so it absorbs very quickly um, and you'll see somebody that might be breathing four or five times a, a, a minute Um, that's on the verge of respiratory collapse. And within 45 seconds to a minute, they start breathing pretty normally. I mean, it's a very fast acting drug. Uh, if we have somebody that's kind of in a quasi violent state with us or whatever, uh, we'll, we'll typically try to administer it that way because our other options are like an IM injection where we go up into a larger, you know, the thigh or the arm or something like that and give them just a, a straight injection of Narcan. That takes them a little bit longer to get into the system. It'll be two, three minutes before we'll start to see them, uh, settle down from that Uh, and then the quickest way we can do it if they're totally unresponsive and we've got a little bit more time or if we're just you know bagging them and providing oxygen that way we can start an iv and administer it uh, intravenously also and if we administer it uh, intravenously normally you'll see a reaction within about 30 to 45 seconds
0: you said you you see these people over and over again are you administering uh,
4: narcan to the same person multiple times a day um, we've had a couple occasions where we've done it um, on the same individual a couple times in day, during the day. Because what our guideline is is we can't just show up on scene. You know, uh, take for example a known diabetic. That's a call that we get on a frequent basis. We'll show up. Their blood sugar might be low, but they're a known diabetic, um, and they've just, for whatever reason, been having trouble controlling their blood sugar levels. So that's a call we frequently get. We'll show up. We administer um, an AMP of D50, wake them back up. They'll sign a refusal the form. Glucose. Yeah, the glucose. And uh, we wake them back up. They sign a refusal form. Family's there with them. But because they've got a known history, they normally know how to take care of it, we're comfortable in leaving them on their own. Um, we can't do that with the overdose patients. So we give them Narcan, we wake them up. They have to go to the hospital to be evaluated, because it's, as has been mentioned, with a lot of these drugs, it's a wide variety of mixtures, and so there could be some other medications in there that once we've wore off the opioid effect or so on. But depending upon what it was mixed with, opioid or excuse me, Narcan will last in the system about fifteen twenty minutes, and then once it wears off, if they've still got you know a high dose of fentanyl sitting back in there that we've just kind of kicked off those receptors, it can. Take those receptors back over 45 minutes later, and they go unresponsive again. So occasionally, we'll take somebody to the hospital. They get them all cleaned up. The hospital does their thing, checks them out, says, yep, you're good to go. They'll go home, and then we'll be back at the house that night. That has Mm -hmm. happened a couple times, but we more often not see that same individual in the same day, but we'll see them over the course of a week. I mean, we've responded to the same individual two and three times a Uh week. AJ, just following up with you real quick. I don't want to keep you guys too long. I appreciate you being here. So when we talk
1: about crime, and we want to intersect here and uh, unpack how crime is affected by drug use, and uh, overall last year our property crime numbers were down, our violent crime numbers were down, but we did have a spike in robberies, and a lot of the talk is a lot of that's driven by drug use, drug sales. In fact, a lot a lot of our crime um, does deal with, with those issues, so do you see that in, in the street crimes unit as something you deal
3: with, the, the robbery specifically? How do you manage that what are you seeing a majority of our violent crimes including robberies are driven around drugs Um, they're driven about trying to find the drugs trying to find the money to get to the drugs trying to find property that they can sell to make money to get to the drugs so what we try to do on street crimes and we've become pretty effective at it is to find the areas where people are going to buy these these illegal drugs and then we focus on those areas and then by taking that individuals or those individuals out of the system, it gives the people that are seeking the drugs more time off of it. And if you could keep them off of it longer, then it helps them with the recovery process. The recovery process for Spice, the hardest time is going to be the first three to five days. If you can make it past the first week, now we're now we're moving. Now we've got someplace to go. Now you're realizing, hey, the, the world is now becoming a little bit more clear. You're not involved in trying to steal things or get get things to get to your next high, is how we basically put it. They're, they're trying to get items that will get them to the next drug use. So we've become really good at just having an open relationship with the community, having them relay information to us, information that we can use and go forward. We had a recent conversation with some citizens about when they should call and why sh- why they should call, and I think it goes back to if a tree falls in the forest, does it actually make a noise? Well, if you see the tree fall in the forest but you don't call somebody to clean it up, which would be us, we can't come to clean it up. So you have to let us know. And the community, uh, the outreach program, the individuals that are helping the police, which is by far increased significantly over the last few years, is how we really progress through combating a lot of these issues and do you also see um the issue with drug dealers robbing other drug dealers and and how do you deal with that a lot of times and several of our more violent crimes over the last two years have been other criminals or other suspected drug dealers involved in robbing other drug dealers We treat that just like we would other crimes. We would treat that just like if somebody robbed somebody that wasn't involved in in these types of issues. But targeting both of those individuals during those investigations helps minimize the the drug use there.
1: And and the one thing, you guys can both speak to this question, and uh, Brian had a couple more. A lot of times we see in investigations that uh, when there's a group of Drug users using drugs, and, and something goes south, whether somebody ODs or has a bad response to it, the person who is uh, having that bad response will oftentimes be just thrown out in the street. We've seen them mm-hmm. wrapped up, um, thrown out in the street, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of where you guys intersect with these overdoses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you, how do you deal with that when you – whether it's a deceased person or an OD or – Somebody fighting. um, How many times do you counter that? What do you guys? How do you guys respond to that?
3: I would say probably about every other night we're dealing with somebody that's having some some type of negative reaction towards synthetic marijuana or heroin. Then the the cases where you're having individuals that are having an an overdose or more of a serious reaction to those. Those drugs and they're being removed from those drug houses. Basically, it's like a red flag. It's like them sticking a flagpole in the front yard and running it up so that we can see it above all the, the rooftops. So, is that why they? Because that's and then then that's where we focus. Now now we know what's going on here. Now we know where to focus. And very very few times does that actually happen, and people not get arrested on the back end. Because when you when you're that blatant about doing things and you don't care about the person that's having this medical issue. That becomes a huge threat towards society because so they're all we, friends while
1: they're doing it. But then, as soon as it goes, that, that's not my friend anymore. Correct. And they, they don't try to help
3: them anymore. So there's no camaraderie among thieves, I right. guess you kind of say. Yes. So that becomes the place where we start to focus, and that has been um, key to a lot of our investigations. Is that one person leads you to one place, the next person leads you to the next place, and then they just and it's it's interesting to watch the flow chart on how they're all connected
1: and then Daryl to to that uh, for you as well when you uh, you mentioned when you go into a house you Mm -hmm. need the police there because your lane is the is the person that's having in distress and that's your lane you need to take care of that what are what is your expectations of the police when you go in a, a place like that where you may have you know, 10
4: or 15 people, you don't know who they are. Now you're kneeled <laughs> yeah. over this guy and you don't
1: know what's going to happen. Yeah,
4: exactly. Uh, scene safety is one of the things that we stress for our uh, staff on a regular basis. I mean, I bring it up and I talk about it every month at, at staff meetings. And that's why we rely so heavily And the working relationships that we have with the various agencies is phenomenal. But our expectation is, you know, on these no-one drug calls, we arrive on scene and we don't enter the residence until the officers have gone in and secured that scene and, and let us know that it's relatively safe. Now, we might walk into a situation where officers are on scene and they're still, you know, you guys are still in the process of clearing the house, but at least you've gone into the first couple rooms and we know, hey, here's this individual that's on the floor and he's not breathing right now. You guys need to do that. We're gonna go secure the rest of the house. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a team effort, but again, we rely very heavily on law enforcement because obviously you know you guys are trained in defensive tactics and have you know different equipment that you're able to use and carry out your duties Um, our crews are not trained in defensive tactics Um, you know we've had situations where uh, we've walked in patients have been extremely violent you know we may not have had that information initially and and the crew basically just threw their uh, their medication bag at the individual and you know to distract Mm -hmm. him and ran back out the door so uh, again you know we stress scene safety it might be such a thing as you know we'll we go in in a team of two, uh, normally a paramedic and an EMT, and the paramedic a lot of times will start working with that patient, doing what he needs to do, and we've also trained, you know, the other staff member that's there. If law enforcement doesn't happen to be there right away and we've walked into a situation, you know, just be aware of your uh, surroundings and keep an eye out because we don't always know if somebody's in a closet yeah. or in another room that we can't see or something like that. So, there I had a
0: question on uh, you know, tips from the community mm-hmm. uh we have a variety of ways to, to communicate these tips, uh, some anonymous, some that you give
3: your name. I guess, can you talk about where you get your tips and where you would prefer? Yes. So I have a street crimes is a six-man team, and on the six-man team, we have certain assignments. So when I first became the commander of street crimes, those, those tips, what we call we tips, which are the anonymous tips through the, through the community, would come in and I would kind of handle them myself. It got to the point six months into it, eight months into it, the tips were coming in so great that I had to take, I, I, you know, a leadership learning experience for me was I can't do this all myself and nor should I be expected to. So I actually assigned one of my officers to do all the community outreach and all the sifting through all the complaints that come in. The number one tip that we use and that one of my officers uses is the WeTip hotline. We use the we Tip hotline almost every night. We get multiple tips tonight in regards to all types of crime. We normally focus on drugs for those types of those types of tips, and then we'll focus on um, community endangerment type crimes, um, abuse of any type. And that's and that's not you know street crimes. will focus on all of those things, but those tips come in rather regularly. Um, They normally are anonymous. They're all anonymous. They come in, and that's primarily the tip that we use. Now, we have other tips. Uh, People call me the office. People send in emails. Uh, Recently, Nextdoor, which is the community outreach uh, website that the department's been using for the last few years, and it's grown significantly, is that I'll have individuals reach out to me on Nextdoor. They'll have a complaint in which we'll investigate. But right now... WE-TIP is by far working the best for us. It's working the best for the community. It's an anonymous tip line in which if you want, you know, if you want to make a tip, you can make it anonymously. You don't have to leave your name. And then we as police officers will investigate it and then call WE-TIP to give a disposition. And then WE-TIP will contact back the actual caller and say, this is what has actually happened. They have a disposition of what actually took place, and they're realizing that we're actually out there working the tips that they give us.
1: And the number for that eight uh, hundred seventy eight 1-800-78-CRIME. Um, so we, we use that a lot in our press releases, too, to make sure people are using that. Uh, so thanks, um, AJ and Darrell, for being with us today. And if you can stick around for a minute or two, we have some questions from the audience that has, has uh, emailed us in, and maybe you can help us answer some of those uh brian did did you have a question uh you can answer or yeah
0: samantha wrote in and asked what exactly is the rapid fire cast and why do you do that you want to talk about that i'll I'll let you handle that one okay (laughs) so the the rapid fire uh cast is um a shorter podcast that we handle one topic that people are interested in um to quickly go over it's it's much less in depth uh, than our, our regular podcast that happen once a month. We'll do these quick casts. Uh, we do actually do them during our, during our planning meetings uh, for this the bigger uh, podcast. So we'll we'll cover this uh, a topic each month in a quick cast and uh, just give you an extra episode on on a specific topic that we can cover in a few minutes.
1: Sean, did you want to ask uh, our guest the next question?
2: yes tina from uh the hannah linwood community asks i witnessed someone vandalized my neighbor's car i called the police like you guys asked but after they interviewed everyone involved the police did not arrest the man why not
1: aj can you speak to that why wouldn't you arrest somebody that
3: uh, was witnessed vandalizing a car i i agree that that's very annoying that we couldn't make that arrest however indiana state law says that that misdemeanor, a criminal misdemeanor has to be witnessed by a law enforcement officer to make the arrest. So that would be the reason why the officer didn't follow through with an arrest. Now that does not mean that the officer didn't take a report, didn't document the damage, didn't document the statements and didn't send that on to the prosecutor's office. I would almost almost imagine nine times out of 10, probably even a little bit higher that that happened. Um, However, if we don't witness it, that misdemeanor we can't arrest on. And, and so, the, the, yeah, so exactly. the prosecutor's office can always issue a warrant for that arrest, and then we can make the arrest Absolutely. at a later time. Yes. Or summon under the court or something. That, that needs to be reviewed by a judge okay. and issued by a judge okay. for us to actually make that arrest. And, Shawna,
1: do you have a crime prevention tip for us today before we close out?
2: Yes, and it's a very simple one, and it has to do with what you can do to avoid being a victim of burglary at your house. Uh, the main thing is make sure all your doors and windows are locked. sure people lock their doors. Yeah, because majority of the time they're looking for the easy way into your house, and they're not going to want to bring mm-hmm. a lot of attention if they're trying to break into your house. So as long as you can make sure those doors and windows are locked, the chances of you becoming a victim of a burglary are very low. And if you're going to come home late at night, make sure you turn on your outside lights so that your house is very visible and leave on a hallway light so somebody thinks that you're home.
1: Very basic common tips, but that's great to remind people of that because that, those are huge things that happen and huge ways to avoid those those crimes. So coming up real quick here, we'll talk about a few things. We're working on the the Aviators on Sunday, June 11th. They're having a their baseball game, and then after that game, the fire department is going to be playing the police department and uh, guns versus hoses now AJ you participated in that last year I believe right
3: no actually I had to work my, my okay. schedule is a little ridiculous okay. at times but Let's I have played in, in the past right. <laughs> and
1: then uh, we also have coming up the Citizens Academy uh, I've taken over for Brian in that and uh, that's going to be closing out soon in a couple weeks and then we'll be starting up the junior police academy which I'm going to have to uh, get some hints from Brian how to start that up but that's going to be happening and also, we want to mention and, and really brag about our next door and our Twitter numbers, Shauna, What are our uh, Twitter and next door numbers?
2: Twitter, we are up. We're, we have more than five thousand followers, Which is a big and deal for us. next door, we have more than ten thousand followers. And on Instagram, we just rolled over five hundred followers. So we're
1: trying to, to boost up our Instagram now. We've kind of got these others established, so we can still work on those. And uh, Brian, do you have anything else for we? Uh it out today? I don't think so.
0: Make sure you uh, check out the uh, other podcasts. You can find those on SoundCloud. Uh, com as well as uh, iTunes.
1: What's the email address?
0: The email. If oh, you have any right, if you have any questions, please email them to podcast at
1: Lafayette. And Daryl, thanks again for being here. We appreciate your uh, insights and no, your thanks knowledge. thanks for having me. And thanks, AJ. Uh, great information, and I'm sure the Systems are going to love hearing about this and learning about this. Yeah, no
0: problem. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to this edition of Inside the Squad. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next podcast. Inside the Squad is supported by the Lafayette Police Foundation. To discover how you can help support LPD, visit www.lafayettepolicefoundation.com